the reality though is that there's a customer journey and what most people in in business are not thinking about is every tiny little facet of that customer journey goes toward the close rate we are closing before we ever meet a client You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship of growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Hey, Adam here and thanks very much for tuning in. And as you are, I'm going to make the assumption that you are responsible for generating revenue for an established B2B professional service business and you're looking to grow your revenue. So what I've got for you, you're going to absolutely love because I've recently released my new revenue multiplier calculator and bonus training where using this tool and following the training, you'll discover how to uncover the hidden revenue opportunities in your business and be able to systemize your growth using seven revenue multipliers that can double your business in 12 months or less. So if you want to go and grab your copy, go to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash calculator. Now on to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. Now, joining me to talk business growth and fellow business leader on the virtual hot seat today is someone with a pretty incredible track record. Now, he has generated or he's created over 35 companies. He's generated 500 million in sales. His last client made 3 million in five weeks. And his most outstanding professional achievement is increasing a company's close rate by 862% and their revenue growth by 116% in just four months. Now, he's also a 12-year veteran of the US Army. He's a proud father of two wonderful daughters and a highly acclaimed sales revenue growth expert. He's also an international best-selling author, and his mission today is helping companies grow their sales revenue and have better performing sales teams, which you can find out more about at businesssuccessfactors.com. Now, before you do that, though, with such a depth of experience and a history of de- delivering the kind of results we'd all love to have a part of, I'm delighted to welcome Doug C. Brown to the podcast today. So, Doug, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you for having me here. Uh, it's great. And we, um, yeah, we've just been having a, a bit of a discussion around, um, you know, I guess, love life and family and all the rest of it and all sorts of family members. But um, you and I have something in common in that we have two, uh, two daughters and we are the, uh, the sole male in the house. So um, yours, your, your girls are a little bit beyond me. So have you got, first of all, have you got any advice on how to sort of, you know, be the sole male in the house and, uh, you know, deal with, uh, deal with all that side of things? <laughs> well, uh, yes, uh, always try to be sensitive right? To their, uh, what I found having daughters is that, you know, with a son, it's a little different. You know, I grew up with four brothers um, and my dad could come and say certain things to us that if I said it in the same way to my daughters would be taking 
totally different <laughs> just because of, of the, um, the lack of sensitivity where we as, you know, males or boys at that time would be, oh, okay, you know, dad just said that. But if I say the same exact thing in the same way, it comes off as insensitive and they'll, 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 they'll kind of repel back where boys would go, oh, okay, this is just kind of the thing. So as they've grown older, I've learned to be, uh, I would just say it's probably far more respectful of, of their position in life. And uh, as they get older, you know, we have to realize as a parent that, you know, they're, they're growing up and that's the hard thing for a lot of parents. It's uh, very difficult to, to let go. Uh, and with daughters, even more so because uh, we always want, not that we don't want to protect our, our boys, but we, we, you know, we feel for some reason as men, like, okay, well, they can, you know, get themselves out of this here and there. But with a girl, it's like, especially when the boyfriends start coming around, oh, forget it. <laughs> well, fortunately, I'm a, I'm a little bit off of that. Uh, well, hopefully, hopefully I'm a little bit away from that. But um, no, it's interesting because I similar. I I grew up with a with a brother and and all the rest of it. It's interesting what you sort of say about sort of a you know respect and and all that kind of thing. Do do you think? I'm curious to know. Has has that helped you professionally in any way? Like that change in perspective and seeing things. Oh, without question. Be, especially when it came to you know uh, selling to women. Right. Because women and men, although we think similarly, we think very differently in, on some levels. And we have to be aware that in any sale that we're not just dealing with a, let's say, an agenda of business agenda. We're also dealing with personal agendas because behind every business decision is a personal you know, agenda of some sort. And so my mother always taught me to... <laughs> be respectful, even though I was kind of a wise ass at times, like uh, I'm all kids. <laughs> My mother used to say to me, never ask a woman her age. Never, 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 never. And I was in a, a crowd. She had some friends and she was like, you, you remember, you never ask a woman her age. And I said, okay, mom. I said, Hey, uh, ma'am, how much do you weigh? <laughs> <laughs> I bet that went down very well. Oh, the, the, the four fingers. I still probably have marks across the side of my head. <laughs> right. But you know, you and I would laugh about that if we did that in a, in a guy to guy scenario, you know, I mean, you, know, you might even look at me weird, like, why are you asking that stupid question? Right. But you, as guys, we get it why we would ask women that question, but women don't take it the way we take it. Mm. And rightfully so. Right. So we, as male uh, people selling, we have to be very aware of the emotional impact that our communications makes. And so we have to be very conscious about that and in respectful, right? And I think part of that does come from my mom, you know, I mean, she did whack me upside the head many a time, but the reality is, um, you know, she taught me some lessons about how to deal with the female side of life and how to deal with the male side of life. And, and it's, it's helped tremendously in business. And I, I tend to do better now with women-owned businesses than even men in many cases. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I think when it comes to sales, and I think traditionally it has been quite a male-dominated arena and there's the stereotype of the used car salesman or, um, you know, Wolf of Wall Street or all those kind of things, you know, very rah-rah, yeah. very testosterone-driven, and it's all about closing and all this kind of thing. But I think that today that doesn't work whether it ever worked, I don't know. And there's a lot more 
you, you can go down the route of sales techniques and closing methods and all this sort of thing. But there is such a, an EQ element when it comes to sales, as much as it is actually understanding your product and, and all the rest of it. And how do you see that fitting into a sales conversation or a sales process? Well, we, okay. So years ago, even this male bravado, you know, that we see on television or we see that people, you know, maybe we saw it in a corporate environment or whatever, you know, back when they were selling, you know, tin on houses, right. Or they were selling, you know, this stereotypical, you know, car salesperson, you know, when I was growing up and I think maybe you could relate to this when you went to buy an automobile, you didn't have a lot of choices. There were, you know, within a 25 mile radius, there were probably only five dealerships at back then when I was there, you know, and they were traditionally in the United States that were American brands, you know, Ford, Dodge, Chrysler, um, maybe a Jeep or something like that. And then maybe one, uh, you know, Chevy dealership and possibly if we were lucky, we had one foreign car dealership mm -hmm. around that point. But when we walk into that place, you know, they had all of the information we did not. Mm. And so they, because they have information, they were able to manipulate the conversation and they were able to, you know, take the, the small closing rooms, you know, remember those times? Well, Hey, I, I got to go talk to my manager and, you know, I'll go out there and they act like they're talking about something. And then they come back and they put you in this small room. It's a closing room. It's psychologically designed to do that stuff. All that crummy sales style does not work well today. And the reason behind that is because the internet, mm -hmm. the internet leveled the playing field and it actually gave the buyer the advantage because now if we want to buy an automobile, let's say we can go with a few strokes of a mouse click and probably find more about the vehicle than they actually know. And I just bought a brand new vehicle. And I remember walking into the dealership and asking them about the specific model and about the specific features. And they went, well, geez, I got to go look that up because I don't know. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that, that's an illustration of exactly how that's sort of shifted, isn't it? It's, it's the, you know, you can call it a, a power balance. You can call it the information gap has just disappeared to the point where it does not exist. And the role of a salesperson has fundamentally shifted to one, you know, from one of, of, of persuader to enabler, I guess. Yeah. And, and an ally, right. Yeah. And it should have always been, and I've always, and I do mean always have sold from a position of being an ally, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm, and I teach people to do this all the time. If the deal is not right, don't sell it. There are no bad clients. There are bad selling decisions. And, you know, if they, you know, cause I have people sometimes say, well, geez, this person is a terrible client. I'm like, no, you were a terrible decision maker when you decided to take the client. And then we'd go back through that and they'd be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I shouldn't have taken that client. Right. Because it wasn't the right fit. And, and if people think about sales and this might be to the, the end ridiculous, you know, um, but if they think about sales as okay, you're going to get married, you're going to marry this person. Would you actually want to marry this person? And would you make that same decision if you applied it to the similarity of the sale? And a lot of times just that different frame, I found out, you know, allows people to say, oh, you know what? I really need to walk away from this. And too many people just struggles trying to 
close stuff when, you know, the reality is that if you were a master prospector, you all outsell the master closer every single time. Um, and, but too many people just get locked in and they forget that they're selling to people, not titles. I mean, you know, it's just a person who has a CEO title or a person who has a, an owner's title or an HR title or whatever it might be, but they are a person and that person has an agenda. And a lot of times it's to protect their job. Mm. And so when people are selling, they don't think about this as becoming the ally. I've displaced competitors just by being the, the guy that gets in there and says, listen, I'm going to ask you a question. Like, does this make sense type questions? And people have said to me, you know, no one's ever had the, the gall to talk to us like this. And I do it in a very respectful manner. And they said, these were excellent questions. And we really appreciate them because they made us think about what we're doing. And when we do those type of things, you know, especially today, and you're absolutely right, right? From back then to now, sales has shifted. So, you know, the new reality is marketing really should be queuing the client up. It always should have been, but it, even more so today, marketing should almost be making the sale and the salesperson is now the facilitator to help them cross the bridge. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's all... It, it's looking at it like a sales is a conversation between two people to find out if there is a fit. It's, you know, do you have this problem, making sure that the problem exists and it's the problem they need to actually solve right now. And if it is, here is how we help you solve it. Does that sound like the way that you would want to go ahead and actually solve this problem? And it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. I'm interested to know as well, though, talking while we're on the subject of sales, and, and I mentioned in the intro there, the uh, the radical change in the, and we did use, I did use the close rate term, which is not one I like to use, but, you know, was it 862%? Now, how do you do something like that? <laughs> well, sometimes by accident, right? <laughs> sometimes what what I always do is, and if everybody listening would think of it this way, there's a customer journey all the way along the process, or as you would say in Europe, process. Um, and, or Canada, sorry, Canada, I forgot <laughs> you. Australia, <laughs> I could go on, South Africa. Um, so the, the, the reality though is that there's a customer journey. And what most people in, in business are not thinking about is every tiny little facet of that customer journey goes toward the close rate. We are closing before we ever meet a client. And so what I did with that particular company, and I'd love to name the name because I'm sure your audience would know the company, but I can't because I'm under non-disclosure <laughs> to do this, uh, is I looked at every single step along their sales cycle along the whole customer journey. And I said, okay, let's measure all these little metrics. Let's measure from the time that somebody makes an inquiry to the time they respond, that company. Let's measure by the time they respond to what their answers are. And I would go through every single tiny little metric. And what I discovered were a bunch of metrics that just didn't make sense. So like going in on a you know, uh, the old radio dials, you know, and you dial them in and, you know, go from static to, you know, a music channel or whatever. I would go in and I would, I would change each one of these levers and we would test them. And that's how I did it. And there were 
only about a half dozen of them that actually really mattered. But, you know, that's always the case. It's usually three to six uh, across the board, but that can literally double somebody's sales and it's just sitting there. So that's what I did. Um, and it is a true number and their revenue did grow over a hundred percent in a very short period of time. Um, I mean, could you give us an example then of, of maybe sort of some of those key parts that were, that you found and maybe some of the things that you did to actually tweak them and improve them, you know, one or two along that journey. Well, uh, I had another company that I worked with uh, that I think will illustrate this. Uh, they were, they were sliding. They were going from 50 million. They called me, they were 48 million in six weeks later, they lost $2 million in revenue. And so I went in there and I, I realized uh, that 82% of their employees were turning over every year. <laughs> and I, I, I had to ask the question, why? Right? <laughs> because so they told me, and then I recognized their sales force was going to do the same thing. And so I started looking at all these metrics. The first thing was you got to fix the people problem. So I fixed the people problem in that pretty quickly. Um, and then I looked at the metrics and what I could tell is they were generating thousands of leads a week for these salespeople, but they had too few salespeople and the salespeople, you know, they were getting sometimes 50, 60 leads a day. And so, you know, they were just picking off the the ones that could easily close and you know, anything that was minutely resistant, they just let it go. Hmm. And so I started measuring and I measured from the time that they got the the lead to the first contact. And what I discovered by going back through their records and in the current records was 62% of their leads were never being contacted. So that's crazy because <laughs> let's be honest, if you're, if you're, you know, a lot of companies are struggling because they don't have the leads coming in. So, right. it, you know, some people would think, well, surely more leads is the solution to my problem where so often it's not because it's just putting something into a machine that's going to sort of clog halfway down. Right, right, right. And, and, and if it's, you know, it's, if you put bad fuel in the vehicle and you drive down the, 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 the highway or the byway, eventually the, you know, the vehicle goes and I've had enough mm -hmm. and you're sitting on the side of the road. And a lot of times it's absolutely analogous to what you just said. Um, so in this case, it was, you know, the owner was, he wouldn't believe it firstly, you know, mm. and I said, well, here's all the data, you know, and he looked at it and he said, well, how do we fix this? And so I gave him a plan. I said, it's going to take two or three months. I said, we're going to start structuring the compensation plan in bonuses based on contact rates on the first contact. Because what I realized, Adam, was I looked at the second contact and the third contact. And if I could get them into the third stage of the process, he had a static close rate. And so I knew if we just pushed enough volume into that third stage that he would grow. Right. And so we did, and we knocked it, you know, it came down 25% first month because we announced everything was happening. And then the next month it dropped down again. And then the following month it dropped down again and, uh, was took me 17, it was 17 months. So 17 months later, he went from 48 million to 110 million. With that one little tweak. There were one little tweak. There are a couple others along the path, but you know, we had a, he had some sales team members that were <laughs> quite frankly, not supposed to be there. 
right? They were just being highly unethical. Um, so, you know, we moved some people down the trough, we moved some people out, we moved some people in, but the reality is that one metric is what got everything going. Mm-hmm. And then once it got going there, uh, we developed another upsell process on the back end of this, which actually mm-hmm. worked really well for them as well. I mean, it just goes to show that if you're, if you, you can look at something in a business and, and sort of fixate on the problem and you can get completely lost in the problem and not actually be able to see the underlying cause of it. And I think when you have something or, you know, or, you know, a lens, a framework, something to view something through, you can actually see that in so many businesses, especially established businesses, there is a world of opportunity hiding within the business. It's kind of like untapped revenue that is just sitting there waiting for someone to point it out and say, hang on, why are you doing this? Let's focus a few more resources here, or let's make this tweak here. And it can have a massive exponential impact on the performance of your business. And I think that it's really difficult when you're kind of like sat in there and looking at the problem and you're like, I don't know how to fix this. Or maybe you don't even realize there's a problem because you don't have the right lens or you don't, you're not looking at the right metrics, for example, because let's be honest, people don't always like to look at metrics. They're kind of dull and are a bit boring, <laughs> but they're the things, they're the 1% little incremental improvements over time in multiple areas that will ultimately have the massive impact rather than trying to go for a massive big win with some kind of, you know, um, trying to hit it out of the park campaign or whatever it may well be. And I think that's where too many people are focusing rather than actually taking the step back in the time to look through a lens of your business. Where are the leverage points? Uh, without question. and. Um- that you're absolutely right. And it's, I think a lot of times people think short term, not long term. And, you know, not to quote Tony Robbins, who I really like, but the, you know, he, he once said, you know, a lot of people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in five. And so when I work with clients, they go, well, what can you do in the short term? I say, we're not asking the right question. <laughs> right. We're, we got to look at long term and then back the short term in and absolutely looking through a different lens, because when we're in our own lens, if we're confused, that's a form of fear. Mm. Really, when it comes down to it and fear will paralyze us. So, you know, I'm sure people have gone through this. They make a decision, then it's an indecision, then an indecision, be, you know, and it goes back and forth. And, you know, they're focused on, oh, what don't I have? What don't I have? Right. And all of a sudden that drives them toward depression, which then will create the indecision, which is creating part of the problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. So when somebody like myself comes in and even if I don't know the industry really well or know the, the, you know, the ins and outs of it, just the fact that I know enough about global business and how sales works through a company, I can usually spot some really cool things. Mm-hmm. And it's inexpensive for a company to do this too, compared to the loss they're having. Like you said, there's, there's a world of opportunity sitting there. There's untapped revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I worked with a, a restaurant, super great seafood restaurant. Um, they had multiple locations throughout the Northwest part of the United States. And I did an assessment and I found out that the majority of their people had no idea on how to increase transactional value or buying frequency within their own client base. Mm. I was like, 
they they never offered a beverage up front. They didn't present dessert at the end. I mean, I was like, I was shocked because that's kind of the basics, right? So all we did well, was you say that, and I, I back when we were allowed to go out and eat in restaurants and all the rest of it, my wife used to get kind of irritated with me because we go into a restaurant and I would automatically start sort of looking at it through, I guess, the kind of sort of lens that you're looking at it through. It's like, mm-hmm. why haven't they done this? Like, this isn't particularly busy right now. Why, you know, what are they doing? Like, they didn't ask us about, you know, extra this, that, and the other. They haven't sort of taken through a process. It's like, we're sitting here waiting. I'm having to call somebody over, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I can literally see just like tons and tons of, of, of cash being dropped all over sure. the shop. Yeah. And, and it, and it's just, um, it's commonplace, right? Mm. But I mean, for you and I, because we're in the game of revenue growth, we look at things through a different lens. Mm. Um, I have a friend who runs a wealth company. He's a super nice guy. And we were having breakfast one time and I went to one of his live events cause he invited me to it. And I was sitting at breakfast and I go, can I say something that's probably not going to sit well with you? He said, sure. It wouldn't be the first time. I said, you have the ability to grow your company by a million dollars this year. He was an $8 million company at the time. I said, because I've done some simple calculations. And I said, you have zero referrals coming into your company. But you have hundreds of new clients every single month coming into your company. You have no standardized activated program for referrals. You have this, I bet once or twice a quarter, somebody says, hey, you should talk to my friend. And he, and he looked at me, he said, you're absolutely right. I said, okay. And so we had breakfast, we left. He calls me a day later and he goes, I didn't sleep last night, you big jerk, right? That type of thing. (laughs) I said, well, what do you mean? (laughs) I knew what he was talking about, but uh, long story short, you know, it's a very simple process to put in a referral, you know, process into a company. And, and so they started doing it slowly. And then all of a sudden they started getting referrals and all of a sudden it was like, okay, we need to do more of this, but it does take that outside a set of eyes sometimes to look at it and and see the obvious, you know, it's the emperor, you know, what's the old saying, the emperor with no clothes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. until the Sometimes you just need that cheeky little boy to just stick his finger <laughs> up and go, yeah. you're naked. And yeah, you know, it, that, that, that is it. It is it. It is. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, we all think that our business, our lives, everything is, is unique. Can we have our own unique set of challenges and, and, you know, all that kind of thing. We do to a degree, but there is an underlying framework that goes across all of it, which is common across whatever sort of business you're in. Whether, you you know, there there are nuances when it comes to, you know, you could be selling a product or an e-commerce or you could be selling a service or, you know, B2B, B2C, whatever acronym you want to put on it these days, H2H is banded around, all that kind of thing. It's like (laughs) there are still fundamentally a certain number of things in a business that will actually make a difference to its growth and everything else is just noise and it's about understanding those and that's that's i know where your expertise lies so um yeah it's interesting i mean sort of on that a question i would have was sort of with all your experience and and 
understanding. Would you say that there is a, a success formula or is there a process that people can sort of take on board that you've seen across all of the, the, the successful clients that you've worked with? Yes. And, and the success formula is money out minus money in equals something. And too many people complicate it more than that, right? Mm. I, I always say, you know, business is so easy if you just remove the people because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very straightforward. You have money going out, you need to bring money coming in and, and that equal sign is either going to be loss, break even or profit. Mm. So if we want profit, we have to focus on those two ratios of money out and money in. And it doesn't mean you have to necessarily cut expenses. Sometimes that's the worst thing to do, especially in a down economy. A lot of times I see companies cut, what do they first cut? They cut marketing and sales. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're cutting the front end off of the company, mm. right? Of the money You're cutting in. off your oxygen supply. <laughs> You've just literally condemned yourself in a box. Without question. I mean, and so, you know, they, they want to wait it out and putting our head in the sand, you know, remember the tide's going to come in. It has to go in and out you know, once or twice, a, mm. you know, a period of time. So yeah, it's, it, it's just one of those things that that's the formula or that's the arch overarching um, thing to the formula. Now, you know, how do we build a business? Well, you want to build a business and eventually you, you want to build a business. So the, the business makes money while we're not there. That's the key for a lot of people to get free. Um, too many people think they're, you know, they're a bit business owner. Uh, they own the business, but they're really more of a solo practitioner or, or self-employed, right? I don't feel you have a business until the business actually runs by its system. And, you know, even in my companies, like, you know, my consulting or uh, advising company or the training company. Well, the training company more so I, I'm more, I can extract myself out of that more if I want to, but you know, if people want me as a consultant, I can hire other consultants, but if they want me, I'm in that self-employed play. Now there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of money to be made in, in the game of being self-employed, but the, the ultimate goal is if somebody wants freedom in the business, they want to get it to a point that they're creating systems and processes that they don't have to be there, but the business is still making money, but they must always look at the money in and the money out because that will tell them when I, when I look at companies, Adam, I, when I, or the, you know, the things, the little facets, right. That we were talking about the steps. When I look at that, is that a money in or a money out? Right. And if it's a money in, and it's a highly profitable money in, that's something that we should consider. If, you know, we're going to make, uh, you know, uh, one pound, but we're going to sp spend, correct me if I'm wrong, 99 pence, right? That's it. Right? I mean, we're up one pence, right? Mm -hmm. So is it worth the effort? And that's where people have must look. And this is where tracking and measuring comes in because mm -hmm. I cannot tell you on so many, I would say, mid-sized to smaller size companies, they're not even tracking what their percentage mm -hmm. of, of marketing spend is or, you know, prospecting costs or any of that. And, you know, they end up in a, in a, in a place a lot of times yeah. where they're like, man, I'm, I'm making money, but I'm, man, I'm working way too hard. Well, it's, it's one of the things I often find. And, um, 
know, I take people through a similar sort of exercise and it's, it's kind of like, I find that the, the businesses that go on to grow are the ones that actually first grasp the concept of the importance of knowing your numbers. Second, they then set up a system or a process to be able to do that. So they settle on a certain number of KPIs. It might be, you know, generally around three at a time to be able to manage because they're the ones that you've identified as the 80, 20 highest leverage. And then they basically work their business to those numbers. And they're the ones that go on to grow. They are the biggest leverage points because they were able to identify them. But the ones that sort of flounder and, and sort of stay stuck and don't break through the ceilings that they're, they're, they're saying they want to get to, but then they don't invest the time to understand the significance of these points. They're the ones that don't. Mm. And it's, it's, it's fundamental across every single business I've seen. I, I would agree with you. And also as the owner of a company, or if one's an owner, to understand that it's okay not to have, now I can hear your owners screaming at me right now. Uh, it's okay not to have the majority share as long as you're getting what you need out of the business. So for example, I wouldn't want a business that was doing $10 million netting out $6 million. And I was so stressed out of my mind that uh, my family life was terrible. My, you know, my health was, you know, compromised, um, and things like that. Now, that's me personally. Some people would say, "Yeah, that's what I, you know, I'm okay with that." I'd rather have a business that was netting me two million dollars because how many pairs of shoes can I actually buy, right? Um, and have it as a running system, and everybody else is making great money, and I don't even have to show up if I don't want to. Uh, I remember when, um, for example, a perfect example of this is when I was the president of uh, training and sales for a man named Chet Holmes. Uh, he had a company called Dream Chet 100. Yeah, the Dream 100, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so myself and the CEO and a couple other people in that company actually ran the company. Mm. And Chet, making several million dollars a year, sat on his boat in Los Angeles in the harbor. And he would every once in a while call us, we'd have a meeting, right? And that type of thing. But he was living the dream, you know? Mm. He was making a you know, few million dollars, sitting on his boat, doing whatever. He was traveling, did whatever he wanted to do because he had the right system. And that's what the mm. ultimate sales machine was about, building a sales system. Mm. Um, so it definitely can work. And it just, I think the, the biggest challenge for people, and I do this with CEOs or owners of companies all the time, Adam, is I ask them the first question is, what do you want your life to be like? Because then once we understand that, we can determine what the numbers are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But if they're not truthful about that, then a lot of times what I find is people go, oh, I want to double my company, you know, um, but the reality is they don't. They want it to grow by 10, 15, 20% so that they have this extra cash flow to be able to do other things. And then, you know, if they took some of that cash flow and put it back into systems and processes, then it starts to get them free. Um, mm -hmm. And what I found now, especially in, you know, the year 2021, um, people that I'm interviewing, you know, quality of life is far more important to them than an extra 300,000 pounds a year or whatever, you know, when they get to that level. I mean, of course, if not making 300,000 pounds, it's nice to get there. Right. And yeah. 
Um, but for business business owners, that's what I'm finding. Yeah, and 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 it all does come back to sort of the beginning of a business and actually setting out the vision of what you want because a business isn't just a, a vehicle to make money. A business is it's it's well, look, I often say it's you know it, it's an ecosystem. And that ecosystem consists of so many things. It's a community, it's an environment, but it starts almost with the kind of the building blocks and the foundations of your values, your belief systems, how you see the world, and ultimately how you want to exist within that ecosystem. And that includes your life, it includes your health, it includes all of those things. So unless you actually understand that, and sometimes you don't think about that beginning, but it's always worth going back to and considering, is this business, is this ecosystem, is this community that I have built around me, this vehicle for making money, is it reflecting what I actually want, my values, my belief system? Am I attracting the kind of people that I want to help and I actually want to make an impact to? And if it's not, then maybe I need to change. And and, it, and to understand that that's okay, right? That's, that's, it's, listen, we have a starting date on a tombstone and we have an ending date on a tombstone. <laughs> And there's a line in between those two. Sometimes we can affect the ending date, you know, by better health practices, things like that. But we're not going to throw that ending date off probably by, you know, 30% or anything, right? Mm. So there's a line there. And you're likely not able to change that line. But what you can do is you can make that line a lot thicker. Mm. And that's what quality of life is about. And, you know, it's okay if you had this, you know, I had a gentleman that I know he, he was doing 201 or 210 million. I can't remember the exact number. And he worked with a friend of mine and this gentleman decided to take his $200 million business and cut it down to a $50 million business. He had more profit at 50 million than he did at 200 million. And his life was so much better. Mm-hmm. And to, to this day, he'll say, I would never build that company back up to $200 million again, because I, I love my life. And, and as they really, say, what is it? Revenue is vanity and profit is sanity. And, and ultimately you've <laughs> got to sort of work out which of the two you, uh, you, you value more than the others. So um, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much wisdom in there that I, I think if, if, if people listen to and, and hear, and maybe it will, it will sort of help you ask yourself some questions to reevaluate a few things and maybe set in a new direction for, you know, the next few years, because it's your choice when you're running your own thing. So, so talking about systems as well and how you know systems can involve tech, it can involve all sorts of things, but it can also involve people. I think it brings us on nicely to today's virtual hot seat, which I do believe, and I think everybody listening will agree with your expertise and experience, there's gonna be quite a good conversation here to, uh, to help this person out. Hey, it's Adam. Now, just a quick one before we dive into today's virtual hot seat, because as the core philosophy behind the show is a rising tide lifts all ships, I'd love to invite you to come and hang out with me, my guests and other business owners and directors of established businesses with a track record of providing good, solid service and a positive reputation in their market inside the B2B growth think tank community, where we all connect, solve problems and help each other grow more profitable businesses. As free to join, so come along, join us at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash think tank group. I look forward to welcoming you, but first, let's get to today's virtual hot seat. 
So today's virtual hot seat, and I did sort of bring this up because um, I'd had, I've been sitting on this for a while and uh, it's, it's not necessarily my wheelhouse. So I've been a bit nervous to bring it up, but having you on Doug, I definitely think that we are going to come up with something great here for this person. So today's virtual hot seat challenge is I'm looking at hiring our first salesperson to help us take it to the next level, but I'm a little inexperienced with what to look for, how to manage them, and how to decide on a way to structure their commission. I've never, ever had sales staff before. I've never dealt with them in previous employment. In the company, we've done no direct selling before, and almost all of our work up until now has come through reputation and a little bit of social media marketing. Now, our sales can be anything from 3,000 up to 100,000, and we've so much potential with the right person, so I want to find the right package and support in place for us both to succeed. Any advice? What do you think about when you hear? Yeah, what do you think about (laughs) first off? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you, you sort of hear something like that? Well, the first thing I, you know, I will come back and ask is, okay, what is the actual position that you're looking for somebody to have? What is their job? Like if we had to narrow it down to the top three things that you want to come out of this, what is it? Is it just sales? Is it profitable sales? Is it you want to sell into a certain type of market? Um, You know, there's all kinds of parameters, but you know, when you're looking for somebody, and I think the key uh, point in, in this person's question is, you know, I'm looking for somebody, right? So my question is, what are you looking for? Because this is where companies really drop the ball in hiring. You know, they'll, they'll come to me at times, Adam, and they'll say, you know, I want to hire all these top producing sales superstars, these A players. And my first question out of my mouth is, are you an A player company? Hmm. And they'll stop and they'll, they'll, they'll ponder and they'll go, well, geez, I never thought of it this way. And I'm like, Listen, it's one thing if I help you to go and find and give you the process to go find A players, the question is, will they stay at your company and not churn in 30 days because they'll get into your company and realize that it's not an A player game? And if that's the case, then you're better off with B players until you can make your company an A player. It doesn't mean you don't hire somebody. So... We want to get really clear on what the, the, the end goal is within the hire, because unfortunately, too many people, when they hire salespeople, are in such a rush that they have no systematic system to measure anything. So they kind of go on gut feel, you know, they go, well, I really like this person. I, I, I think they're likable. I think they, you know, they, I think they could sell. And they go, here's and your offer. Know, yeah. And, and I don't know about you, but I think I heard something as well within this and, I think there's a little bit of a trepidation, obviously, that they have no experience with a salesperson, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of would need to question this person as well, because I'd be a little bit concerned for them. They're looking at this salesperson to be a bit of a panacea where they just have to hire one salesperson and then suddenly they're just going to come in because they've got sales experience and go out into the world and produce. And that is a dangerous way to think about it if that is the way and i think it ties on a little bit to what you were talking about there it's like what do you want them to do what is their role is it just sales and you're expecting them to bang the phone are you expecting them to go out and do demonstrations presentations all those sorts of things of of your service or your product are you expecting them to nurture your existing client base because potentially do they even need to go out and drum up new business when they can work and be more like an account 
manager type role where you look to grow your existing clients because that could be where your revenue is 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 existing there's there's a lot to think about before you even go and say right this is the definite answer that i need a little bit like we were talking about earlier is the problem that you are looking at the right problem and therefore is the solution that you're considering the right solution so that would be my first thing just to take a step back and consider and and i'm fully in agreement with that once you step back and do that then the question is can they actually achieve it right mm-hmm. because that's the match we're looking for what type of personality are you looking for in your company um, you know there's usually two major components to a salesperson i mean there's there's others but two major ones do they have the ego strength to carry on and you know despite setbacks and do they have empathy where they care enough about the person that they're not going to burn the relationship. And to your point, you know, if this person is looking at, okay, this is the panacea, I'm going to put somebody in, I'm going to let them go. They're going to, you know, this is going to increase my sales, but let's say they go out and they start burning your reputation in the industry because you haven't, you know, we haven't looked at the full picture. Then what ends up happening is they don't end up selling anyways. You end up dumping them out, but you burned off potential clients in the industry and maybe even had an industry reputation at this point. So remember that a salesperson is a direct representation of your brand, no matter if you want them to be or he or she uh, or they, they are a direct representation of your brand. Mm -hmm. And so taking the time to understand the person as well as the job role is the first step. When it comes to commissions, I'm a big fan of high commissions, low base. And it just depends on your company though. Depends on your sales cycle too. We have to look at, okay, so we're selling a $3,000 item. Is it a quick item? Uh, Is a $20,000 sale a quick item? Or, you know, is it an eight month sales cycle? Because if that's the case, then you're going to want to structure your compensation so that they can actually, uh, you know, live until the time that they're actually able to sell, which goes back to the money in money out thing. If you're, if you're Mm a, you know, a a smaller company and you need to hire your first salesperson, what is your burn rate? What can you afford to safely? And the word is safely (laughs) do in order to what's the longevity of the, of the time in which you go, okay, this has to be producing or we need to let go of this. Um, because too many people hire people, like you said, Anna, uh, Adam, and, and they, they, they go, wow, okay, uh, this person, you know, isn't really working out, but I'll hold on to them for another three or four months to see if it works out. So if we're not in a rush, let's say it took us five months to get the right person versus three months to get the wrong person. When you do the wrong person thing, you're going to find, statistically, you're going to hire three bad hires before you find the fourth right one. So why not just get it right the first time? And doing so, you one has to have a systematic process. The, the For example, the questions in the interview, they have to be the same. Can't be like, oh, I really like uh, Joe. <laughs> and but I asked Joe these five questions and I don't really like, you know, uh, you know, this person here, but I asked him five different questions that I didn't ask Joe. I mean, how do you measure that? It has to be something consistent. And I'm a big fan of using sales specific assessments, not personality assessments, not, you know, 
Um, you know, it's nice. They have a great personality. It's great. They you know, I mean, a disc program can tell you something about a person, but it doesn't tell you that they have the DNA and will to sell. Yeah. And I think also that, um, yeah, you, I guess that's a little bit of a problem inherent with hiring salespeople is you're hiring people to sell. And if they're good at selling, they'll be very good at selling themselves. So you have to have a process that kind of like sees past that side of things and a, and a process. And, and also I think that touching on something that you were talking about there is it's better to hire slow and get the right person. You know, that old adage, hire slow, fire fast, that kind of sort of thing. What that also gives you the ability to do is actually to look at all of the process. It touches on a little bit what you spoke about earlier. Look at your customer journey or your client journey. Look at all the steps in the process that lead up to when you would actually have that person interacting. Have you got a predictable sort of pathway or have you got a set of processes or a system in place that guides somebody along and kind of pre-sells people with your marketing, with your, your prospecting, with, with whatever method that you're using. And then do you have something where you can take somebody through? Because I'm assuming this person has done selling in the past because they have business, they have revenue. What has the process been like that you have actually sold in the past? Can you systemize that so that actually, if you're worried about the right kind of person, can you provide them with a way of doing it not saying scripts or anything like that, but a, a way of actually interacting with somebody and taking them through a buying process. Do you have that in place? And if not, maybe that is the thing to look at first. In most cases it is, right? Because mm -hmm. if we don't set the framework and we bring in a, a, a champion salesperson, and I've had this happen to me. For example, I, I ended in a company, I sold uh, six major accounts. These were big account, big names, company, you know, I was the, I was the, the golden boy of the, of the, of the, you know, month that month. Um, and they couldn't deliver on five out of the six. And, you know, so I was watching $25,000 in commission go out here, 25,000 there. And I was like, that's it, you know? So if the operation side isn't set up to handle scale, then it's most important to do that. Do we have a training program in place? If we're going to bring somebody in, is it a, now it doesn't have to be the world's best stellar training program in the world, but it has to be something that's functional that can get them going quickly because what salespeople don't like is not selling true ones. They want to sell. So all of these little facets along the way and you in the, uh, as the higher -er, um, you want to simulate all these processes all the way through your interview, because if you, and, and through the whole job recruitment process, and, and if you don't, then you're going to miss something like you brought up, uh, you know, do you want them to present, right? Mm. Well, let's test that because if they're likable, but they can't present to save their soul, you know, then you've got a bad, a bad decision when you hired that person and it's not their fault. It's ours as the person hiring. Um, and of course, you know, I also have to tell everybody, you know, the things I'm telling you, I've made these mistakes, right? I yeah. mean, I've well, literally- you, you know. You've made mistakes and that's why you're able to actually talk about them because you actually have made them. You've lived through the actual consequences of them. And I think that there is also so, uh, something you sort of like touched on there as well around 
do you want this person to do this or that or you know present or, or, or etc i had um aaron ross on the catching uh, client catching podcast previous and and he wrote the book predictable revenue and you know mm-hmm. all the rest of it and he spoke about the need of the need to actually separate the prospecting from the sales and i get something in this question that they're kind of wanting this person to do both and is that necessarily the best idea do you need a salesperson or are you looking for somebody to prospect because they're two very different roles and as you say salespeople like to sell but if you make them prospect very you know it's a kind of a different different beast so again depends on the type of role that you're looking for right so you know let's say they are an inside sales nurturing type role well, you're not going to want to take a person who loves to jump into their vehicle and drive to location, to location, location, to location, trying to sell new business. Now, will that person inside maybe go see a client here and there? Sure. But it's a different, you know, if you have a true hunter type personality, and by the way, this is, the skills are learned, but the inward desire to constantly be number one and at the top that comes from the personal side. Now, if you want that type of, you know, drive in the company, that's great. If you don't, then you don't want that type of person. So everything that we're discussing here is so important because it's really, again, you know, I hate to keep bringing up the marriage word, but if you looked at it as a marriage, right, do you want this person here long-term? Do they want to be here? long term because the cost of turnover is, you know, hundred to 200%, depending on the industry. Um, every time you turn somebody over and, you know, so we want to minimize turnover, but we also want to be very transparent about what we have and what we don't have. It does not mean that if you don't have everything in place, that an A player won't want to come to your company. Uh, a lot of times, A players, you know, I was an A player, I'm still an A player salesperson. If I went to work for a company, you know, and that company I was telling you about, they lost the orders, you know, and I was thinking of leaving, I decided to stay because I talked to the CEO and he said, we'll fix this stuff. Mm. Right. And out of 315 salespeople, I was the number one, mm. you know, consistently. And, and so A type of sales p- people, true A type of salespeople love to solve problems, whether they're external or internal. So just let them do what they, they mm-hmm. want to do. That's, you know, how, how, you know, they, they're able to sell because they're, they're truly caring about what goes on. So if you can mm-hmm. give them an environment that nurtures that, and then they can go out and sell it. I mean, you'll be happy as can be if you hired that type of person, but going back to whether they're prospector or uh, a salesperson true, uh, I think that a person, the best combination, I think, is a person who has uh, massive prospecting skills and has reasonably good sales skills. To, to me, that's kind of the ideal, um, depending on the role, right? But if you want somebody to go out and hunt, they need to be able to go out and be able to prospect. And, you know, if they have decent closing skills, they will outsell any master closer that you have that can't prospect because they'll mm-hmm. create enough activity. Um and I, I learned this, you know, uh, at one company, I, I actually literally had 62 incoming calls a day coming in for sales into my line to the place where I had to hire assistants. And I was out selling, you know, teams, states in the United States teams. And they were like, what is this kid doing? 
Well, all I did was go out and build an agency for leverage. So I went out and I found agents out there and the agents were feeding me all this business and then direct clients were referring because we had an active referral thing going on. Um, but that's a master prospector. That's what a master prospector does. Um, so I th- yeah, it's, think it's, it's important skill sets, to have isn't both, it? but it depends on the role. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think sort of, you know, to, to sort of summarize this, I think there's an awful lot to think about when it comes to actually hiring and make, especially if it's your first hire and you've got no experience and all the rest of it. So I would say sort of like from, from what we discussed, it's about sort of taking a bit of a step back and checking that this is actually the right thing right now and just maybe talking to somebody else or, or getting another perspective just to make sure that it is the right problem to solve. And this is the solution to solve that problem at this particular time. And if you go ahead with it, it's about understanding what you want this person to do, how you want them to do it. And also, I think it comes back to something that we were discussing earlier, which is what are the, you know, what is the system that you use to actually manage them? And therefore, how are you going to measure their effectiveness and how are you going to know their numbers and how are they going to know their numbers? Because they want to know they're successful. So it's understanding what are the KPIs that are going to be managed around this? You know, like you were talking about early, earlier, is it all about actual sales or is it contact? You know, first contact, second contact, third contact, like you were talking about before, because if you're just commissioning on the end sale, you could get wrong fit clients. Again, something that you brought up earlier. So I think there's a lot to think about and it's about sort of having that understanding of where you are now, where you want to get to and making sure that this is the right roadmap to get you there with this person. So I hope that has been helpful for this listener and anyone else listening that has sort of been uh, going through something similar or, or thinking about doing something similar because yeah, Doug's got an awesome, you know, an awful lot of uh, experience and wisdom there and I'm kind of feeding off of it. <laughs> so hey, it's well, been thank great. you, Adam. So we are, we are getting to, and, and probably slightly over time. So Doug, I just want to say thank you ever so much for, uh, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If, um, if somebody wants to uh, have a, you know, find out about you. Um, first of all, who are the best type of people to reach out to you and where should they reach out to you at? Well, the, the best type of people, you know, I used to say, well, it was, you know, a company doing $10 million and above and, you know, 10 salespeople and above, right. That, that was kind of the criteria. What I've learned over time. And as I get a little bit older, I realize that a lot of what I do with companies that are, you know, even doing billions of dollars, is highly applicable to companies that bring less than $10 million as well. So, and I've found ways to make that affordable for people. So I, I think at this point in my life, I mean, the person, if they're looking, for, certainly in this case, the question that came up, if this person wants to have a conversation, uh, I would reach out to somebody like myself or even you, Adam, or whoever, right? Uh, get a different uh, don't, perspective. Don't ask me about hiring salespeople. Thought to Seriously. <laughs> All right. Well, then, then call me. Um, and, you know, you can get me on LinkedIn at Doug Brown, one, two, three, four. Uh, you can go to businesssuccessfactors.com. We have a contact form there. Um, we also, you know, you can send me an email directly at Doug at businesssuccessfactors.com. Uh, I may not initially answer you directly um, because I have a couple of people managing my schedule, but uh, I, I definitely will get involved and, and, and have a conversation with you uh, or just give us a call. We're in the United States. It's area code 603-595-0303. And, uh, you know, let's see what we can do for you. But I mean, 
you know, ideally I still work with a lot of companies that are doing 5 million and up. Um, but I work with, uh, tons of companies and I've worked with literally tens of thousands of companies that are under $5 million over my lifetime. And, uh, yeah, as I, as I covered in the introduction, you're a man with pretty incredible track records. So yeah, if you've, if you've got a, uh, yeah, a challenge or something like that, especially, you know, around the sales side of things and, and how to really sort of leverage what you, what you currently have, then, then definitely check out what Doug's got. And, uh, I will leave all of his links in the show notes, but, uh, I think that all that is left to say is thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And I hope that um, everybody listening has got an awful lot out of it. And until next time, thanks a lot. See you soon. Thank you, Adam. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. Also, to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, The Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you and if you have enjoyed the show please make sure you're subscribed you'll get updated as the new episodes come out and finally last favor please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on apple podcasts i read every single one they mean the world for me i love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well so if you want to go and do that i'd really appreciate it but until next time have an awesome day and we'll speak soon